So it's been over a year since we filed our case against Facebook. Here's a recap. On March 27, 2019, Facebook officially announced its ban on all expressions of white nationalism. It did not ban nationalism for all ethnic groups. It only bans expressions of nationalism and separatism for white people. They made this announcement via their official newsroom webpage in a post titled, Standing Against Hate. The post reads, Today we're announcing a ban on praise, support, and representation of white nationalism and white separatism on Facebook and Instagram. We'll start enforcing this policy next week. It's clear that these concepts are deeply linked to organized hate groups and have no place on our services. At first, you might wonder if I'm just inferring that the policy only applies to white people because they refer to white nationalism in the post, but they can't possibly be so blatantly discriminatory, right? The the policy probably applies to everyone's nationalism, and they're just using white nationalism as an example of one of those nationalisms, right? Nope, the policy definitely only applies to white people. The second paragraph of the post reads, Our policies have long prohibited hateful treatment of people based on characteristics such as race, ethnicity, or religion, and that has always included white supremacy. We didn't originally apply the same rationale to expressions of white nationalism and white separatism because we were thinking about broader concepts of nationalism and separatism, things like American pride and Basque nationalism, which are an important part of people's identity. So in the announcement post itself, you see that they're very explicit that their policy discriminates between the nationalism of people who identify as white versus the nationalism of people who identify as American or Basque. Elsewhere, Facebook has also explicitly referenced black nationalism, black separatism, and Zionism as positions which are still allowed on their platform. Facebook didn't always discriminate against white people. In 2017, an internal document was leaked to Vice magazine. The document showed that, at the time, Facebook's policy allowed all forms of nationalism and banned all forms of supremacy. So whether it was ethnic nationalism or civic nationalism, including white people's nationalism or black people's nationalism, it was allowed. While at the same time, the policy banned all forms of racial supremacy, including white supremacy, black supremacy, etc. According to Vice Magazine, quote, In interviews at Facebook's headquarters, Vice previously asked Facebook why it allowed white nationalism and separatism. The reasoning at the time was that Facebook believed it had to consider how a policy that bans all nationalism or separatism or separatist movements related to race or ethnic groups would impact people around the world. Facebook pointed to black separatist groups, the Zionist movement and the Basque movement. Quote, we don't just think about one particular group engaging in a certain speech. We think about What if different groups engaged in this same sort of speech? If they did, would we want to have a policy that prevented prevented them from doing so? Monica Bickert, Facebook's head of global policy management, told Vice Magazine earlier this year, end quote. So what I think is implicit there is that they're saying that they hesitated to ban white nationalism because how can you ban white people's nationalism without either banning everyone's nationalism or discriminating against white people. And then they didn't magically discover some third dimension, they just chose to discriminate against white people. 
Weiss says that following the release of that internal document, which said that they made a distinction between nationalism and separatism, there was a backlash from a number of organizations which Weiss refers to as civil rights groups. So let me tell you about these so-called civil rights groups who apparently influenced Facebook's policy decision. One of those groups is Color of Change. From its Wikipedia article, it says that Color of Change was founded after Hurricane Katrina, and it has a stated mission of strengthening political and cultural power for black communities in America and making government and corporate leaders more responsive to their concerns. Another one of those organizations that advised Facebook on its policy change is the Stop Hate Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Its Wikipedia page reads that while the Lawyers Committee works to stop all civil rights violations, the majority of its work targets the inequalities that confront African Americans and other minorities. A third group that influenced Facebook's policy decision was the Anti-Defamation League. The ADL is a Jewish nationalist organization in every sense of the term. They're nationalist in the sense that they perceive Jewish people as a nation, in the sense of a people, and their policy is guided by the question of what is in the best interest of that people. And they're also nationalist in the sense that they support the idea of an autonomous, an autonomous Jewish nation state, which is Israel. So these are examples of organizations that Vice is calling civil rights groups, who apparently advised Facebook in creating this racially discriminatory policy. Is civil rights groups the best the most appropriate term to describe these organizations? In a sense, they are civil rights groups in the sense that they advocate for the civil rights of their specific group. But by that definition, every nationalist group, including Students for Western Civilization, is a civil rights group because we advocate for our interests, which of course includes our civil rights. For example, here we are advocating for our civil right to not be discriminated against. But not even I have ever referred to SWC as a civil rights group because that's not the most accurate term to describe us. Our guiding objective is not to defend the abstract concept of civil rights in principle. Our objective is to defend the special interests of Europeans specifically. So a more accurate term to describe us would be a special interest group. And what defines that group whose special interests we are asserting? It's not their physical ability, it's not their veteran status, it's not their relationship with the prison system. The characteristic that defines the group whose special interests we are advocating for is their ethnicity. So a more precise term than calling us a special interest group would be that we are a nationalist group. And more precise still, we are a pan-European nationalist special interest group. So just like Color of Change or the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights are nationalist organizations who assert the special interests of African people, or the ADL, which represents the special interests of Jewish people. So are these organizations which are advising Facebook's policy, are they civil rights groups? In a sense, they are, they are in the sense that every nationalist group is a civil rights group, including European nationalists. But a more accurate way to describe them is that would not be civil rights groups, it would be nationalist groups. These are nationalist organizations which are designing, or at least uh, uh, advising Facebook on its policy decision. Why is the nationalism, why is nationalism legitimate when Africans do it or when Jewish people do it, but not when white people do it? As a nationalist, my perspective is that Jewish nationalism is a legitimate position, equally legitimate to the nationalism of my people. And the same is true for Africans. 
from my perspective, if I were to affirm the nationalism of Europeans, but to negate and deny nationalism for other people, that would be a hypocritical, self-contradictory, and illegitimate position. If it's legitimate for Europeans to assert the interests of our people, then it is also legitimate for Jewish people and black people to assert their interests. And by that same token, if it's okay for Jewish people and Africans to assert their interests, to be nationalists like the ADL or the color of change, then it is also okay for white people to do so as well. Indeed, the position of affirming the nationalism of one's own people while negating the nationalism of other peoples, there's a name for that, that position which necessarily presupposes a hierarchical relationship between peoples. And that name is supremacy, a position which denies to another people their identity, their, their ability to partake in politics, and their human right to self-determination. That's supremacy. Uh, in 2018, I wrote an essay about the evolution of the term supremacy, which I presented at an SWC meeting. The word supremacy has two definitions traditionally. The oldest definition of supremacy is supremacy in the sense of political dominance, and the newer definition of supremacy is supremacy in the sense of uh, the assumption of superiority. And those two definitions are related in the sense that dominance of one people over another people can be rationalized by appealing, by appealing to the assumed superiority of that one group over the other group. It's interesting that apparently one of the reoccurring themes in Facebook's exploration of this policy change was this idea that it's often hard to distinguish between nationalism and supremacy. You see this theme uh, in that leaked document that Vice Magazine acquired. The purpose of that document was to educate their moderators about the difference between nationalism and supremacism. This is, this is at that time before Facebook started discriminating against white people. They felt the need to educate their mod moderators about the difference between those two concepts under the assumption that those two concepts are difficult to dis can, can be difficult to distinguish. According to reporting by Vice Magazine, despite spelling out the distinction between nationalism and supremacy, Facebook admits in the training materials that the difference between them is not always clear-cut. And uh, a quote taken from the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights says that by attempting to distinguish white supremacy from white nationalism and white separatism, Facebook ignores centuries of history, legal precedent, and expert scholarship that all establish that white nationalism and white separatism are white supremacy. End quote. From my perspective, there is a valid distinction between nationalism and supremacy, but there is also a relationship between nationalism and supremacy. Nationalists look at the world through the lens of nations or peoples, and supremacy also assumes that worldview. And so in that sense, supremacy is a form of nationalism. Supremacy is a form of nationalism which perceives not only that there are nations, but that those nations stand in hierarchical relationship with each other, or that they should stand in hierarchical relationship with each other. So from that perspective, these organizations, the ADL, Caller of Change, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, if it's their position that the nationalism of Jewish people and Africans is legitimate, but the nationalism of white people is inherently illegitimate, then these aren't just civil rights organizations. These aren't just special interest groups. These aren't just nationalist organizations. These are supremacist organizations. I, I did a search to see if anyone else had ever used that term to describe any of these organizations. And uh, I discovered a Palestinian-American professor who um, named Rima Najjar, 
who has also referred to the ADL as a Jewish supremacist organization. So think about that quote from the Lawyers Committee, which said that white nationalism is necessarily white supremacy. That is false information. Nationalism does not become supremacy just because it's white people who are doing it. Our organization, for example, SWC, is a pan-European nationalist organization, but we are not supremacists in either sense of the word. Our politics are not rooted in an assumption of inherent superior, superiority, nor are we guided by the aspiration to rule over other peoples. It says so explicitly at the top of our website that our nationalism manifests as autonomism, meaning that our desire is to realize and maintain our, our human right of autonomy or self-determination. The word autonomy is composed of the words auto and nomos, auto meaning self, nomos meaning law, autonomos, autonomy, meaning self-rule or self, self uh, to make one's own laws for oneself. So that's why we take issue with mass immigration. It's not because we want to rule over other peoples. It's that we don't want to be ruled over by other peoples. We want to rule ourselves. Thereby, our nationalism is defined by its opposition to supremacy. We are opposed to the supremacy of non-white people over white people. Do you think that we want non-European people to stay in their own autonomous countries so that we can better rule over them? That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? How would we rule over other people if they were in their own autonomous countries? Indeed, that's the whole idea of an autonomous nation-state, a space where you can rule yourself and not be ruled over by others. We don't want to take away other people's autonomous spaces. What defines our politics is that we want to maintain our own autonomous space. And our position is consistent with international law. Part 1, Article 1.1 of the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights, which is part of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, says that all peoples have the right of self-determination, period. So we're definitely not supremacists in the sense of a desire to rule over other peoples. That bit of advice from the Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights, that's false information that, that uh, white nationalism necessarily expresses as white supremacy. We are not white supremacists. Nor are we supremacists in the sense that our politics is predicated on an assumption of superiority. We don't stand up for ourselves and do what is good for us on the grounds that we are the best or we are better. We do what is good for us because it is good for us to do so. Just like if I'm playing basketball, I'll score on my opponent's net and I'll defend my own net and I'll play for my own team. And I'm doing so. My doing so is not predicated on the assumption of my team's superiority. I play for my team because that's the team that I'm on. So that assertion that white nationalism is necessarily supremacy, that is definitely a false assumption. SWC is an example of a, of a European nationalist organization which is not supremacist in any sense of the word. So let's recap. These organizations, the ADL, Color of Change, calling these, these groups civil rights groups is not the most accurate term. These are special interest groups, specifically these are nationalist special interest groups, and insofar as their nationalism manifests as denying nationalism to other peoples, they are supremacist groups. And to take the next logical step, well, supremacy is banned on Facebook. So in accordance with its own policy, Facebook should not be banning white nationalists. It should be banning the ADL and color of change. 
But rather than banning them, Facebook is consulting these organizations to design their policies. And by enacting policy based on the supremacist worldview of the ADL and color of change, Facebook is itself serving as a vehicle or an instrument of supremacy. One way of describing this policy change is that Facebook once allowed everyone's nationalism and then and, and banned everyone's supremacy, but now it bans white people's nationalism. Or another way of saying the same thing is that Facebook was formerly against, formerly against supremacy, but it now embraces supremacy. And its p- policy is now designed and predicated on supremacist assumptions which is that it's okay for everyone else to be a nationalist except white people. White people should be denied their human right to autonomy and self-determination. They should be denied even their ability to express the desire for autonomy and self-determination. So think about it from Facebook's perspective. Facebook once had a racially equal policy. They went and spoke to organizations which are explicitly partisan, black supremacists, Jewish supremacists, special interest organizations, which gave them faulty information, which resulted in a racially discriminatory policy, and now they're getting sued for it. So for any companies in the future, if you also want to get sued, you should also take the advice of organizations like the ADL or Color of Change, and we'd be happy to sue you too. And if you don't want to get sued, you shouldn't take the advice of explicitly partisan organizations like these. So that's the background of the case. Now I'm going to tell you about uh, going forward, the details about the laws that we're working with and the experiences that we've had so far. So the way that human rights law is organized in Canada is that it's separated into two levels. There's the federal level and the provincial level. Federally regulated businesses include airlines, trucking companies, banks, broadcasters, and telecommunication companies. The provincial level covers everything else like restaurants, stores, schools, housing, and most workplaces. You might think that Facebook would be classified as a telecommunications company, but it's not. Telecommunications refers specifically to telecommunications in the sense of telephones. So Facebook falls into the second category, into the provincial category. And so since we're in the province of Ontario, the legislation that we're dealing with is the human rights, the human right, the Ontario Human Rights Code. The Ontario Human Rights Code says that every person has the right to equal treatment with respect to services, goods, and facilities without discrimination because of race, ancestry, place of origin, color, or ethnic origin. So it's our position that Facebook's policy blatantly discriminates against white people in the administration of its services because its policy against nationalism only applies to white people. So we've launched this human rights complaint through the Ontario Human Rights Commission and we've asked for compensation. As I've said, Facebook announced their policy on March 27, 2019. We filed our complaint on April 9th, 2019 and we started preparing the video to announce our case uh, to our supporters which we released on June 9th. The first formal response that we got back from the Ontario Human Rights Commission was a notice of intent to dismiss, they, which means they intended to dismiss our case. Uh, their argument was they said that it was outside of their jurisdiction. Uh, this was the argument that they presented. This, this short, they sent us a letter with this super short little blurb which said, the Ontario Human Rights 
the, the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario has reviewed the application. It appears that the application is outside of the tribunal's jurisdiction because, colon, the events described in your application do not appear to be connected to Ontario. See, for example, Cash versus Stryker 2009. And that was it. So Cash versus Stryker is a case of a sex-based discrimination and harassment case, uh, which was dismissed on the grounds of territorial jurisdiction. It was a case of a woman who worked in Nova Scotia and claimed that she was harassed by a guy who lived in New Brunswick when they were both at a conference in Ontario. She reported, her, she reported the situation to her supervisor and she was fired. The tribunal decided that the case was not sufficiently connected to Ontario. So when we received that notice of intent to dismiss on territorial grounds and that case as a, as a citation, we thought, what does this have anything to do with us? Facebook's head office is in California, but it operates in Ontario and it even has offices in Toronto, Ontario, and we are in Ontario. Its office is at um, University and College, just south of Queens Park, uh, Kitty Corner to the University of Toronto, uh, where Jordan Peterson teaches. It's the, the Mars building. You see it every time you take the 501 streetcar along college and you look south. And uh, even if it didn't have offices in Ontario, if it operates in Ontario, then it has to abide by Ontario's laws. Just like you see uh, in Germany, Germany gives Facebook millions of dollars in fines if they don't comply with Germany's hate speech laws, even if, even if Facebook is based in California. So obviously, to dismiss our case on territorial grounds is absurd. This would mean that Facebook, if they wanted to, could explicitly ban First Nations, Sikh, or, or Chinese nationalist groups from its services in Canada, and the Commission wouldn't do a thing. Obviously, that would never happen, and the Commission would, at the very least, publish a statement uh, condemning the practice. So when we responded to them, our message was, was to the effect that we're not really sure what you're trying to say. Are you trying to say this or are you trying to say this or are you trying to say this? Well, none of those are legitimate reasons to dismiss us and here's why and here's why and here's why and here's why. We emphasize that Facebook has offices in Toronto and we emphasize that there absolutely is a commission case precedent saying that they can and do go after US-based companies who discriminate against Canadians in Canada. Then we didn't hear anything back from them again for months and months and months. We didn't hear anything back from them until um, October 1st. The message we received didn't say anything like, uh, yeah, okay, you're right, or uh, no, your interpretation of the law is wrong. All it said was that, okay, we tried to reach Facebook, but uh, they didn't, we didn't get a response, and they asked us if we had another address. And so they were trying to reach the Facebook California address, and we said, well, try the Toronto address. So that was kind of a weird moment because I was thinking, does this mean that they've accepted our case as legitimate? And uh, I didn't want to announce it publicly because I didn't want to get anyone's hopes up for something that I was unsure about. But uh, it turns out that, yeah, that's what it means, that our case is going forward. Uh, so that in and of itself feels like a small victory. Then again, we didn't hear from them for months. I sent the Human Rights Commission emails on February 19th, March 1st, March 4th, March 13th, asking for updates. Finally, uh, on March 13th, they responded to me. Uh, and in that email, I found out that Facebook actually had responded a few weeks earlier um, and that they were requesting an extension. Uh, but uh, we never received those emails, which is, which is, a, which is problematic. Why didn't we receive those emails? And we asked about that. 
Um, Facebook is being represented by Aird and Burles, which is a, tr- a Toronto law firm whose office is in Brookfield Place on Bay and Wellington, uh, just north of the TD Canada Trust Tower. You know that mall with the cool modern architecture and high ceilings? There's that. Uh, there's a TD branch inside there that looks like it's like an old building which must have been preserved for like heritage reasons. It's like an old exterior of a building inside a modern mall. That's Brookfield Place. So the, this law firm, their office is in there. So to, to only have gotten that far feels like a small victory. The idea that we've got Facebook paying lawyers to deal with SWC. So that's where we are now. Um, of course, everything has been slowed way down because of coronavirus. Um, but despite that, we're still concerned about why, why has this process been taking so long? Um, we're definitely vigilant to the possibility that we might be getting discriminated against because not only are we white, but we're nationalists. We live in a society wherein many people, including many people in positions of power, believe that white people who assert themselves should be discriminated against. Not only should we be discriminated against, we should be assaulted, violently oppressed and killed. So uh, it would be naive of us not to be vigilant to the possibility that the system is being abused in that way. And so we've expressed our concerns to the registrar. Uh, We're again waiting to hear back from them. Our next avenue is to um, address our concerns. The, The next available avenue we have to address our concerns would be to appeal to the Ontario Ombudsman which governs all uh, government institutions in Ontario. So our finger is on the trigger for that option. Um, And we told this to the the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. We said, why is everything taking so long? We're thinking about contacting the ombudsman. And and so it's interesting, um, the the recent exchanges that we've had with the HRTO, it no no longer takes uh, weeks or months for them to get back to us. They get back to us within hours now after after threatening to contact the ombudsman. but uh, so that's where we are now and that's all for now thanks for listening 